The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends, and welcome to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we're going to review the RSL match. We'll also preview the Vancouver and Portland matches, and we'll talk about some other Austin FC news and interesting topics that have come up over the last week. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley, happily back in my back bedroom. And well, I don't know about happily. I'm not on vacation. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> I'm nowhere near a beach. I do love being back in Austin, and I look forward to seeing some live soccer this week. Absolutely. Yeah. And I am also back in my bedroom, also not no longer on vacation um, and recording from my my little bedroom office. But I did not have a chance to go pick up the microphone that I let Chris Wellhausen borrow while I was out of town. And so I'm still recording on the the trusty old MacBook Pro mic tonight. Uh, I should be back to full audio quality next week as well. But uh, got back from Mexico last night. <laughs> we recorded the last show. If you listen to the last show, you know that I recorded from Mexico. Jeremiah was in Florida. Um, the striker put out a little audiogram clip of the show about us somewhat defending Josh Wolf's starting 11 against Dallas. And I was kind of like, I decided to take a, a little break off of social media and soccer stuff in general while I was out of town and so i saw that get posted and then i saw like maybe one of the comments on it and then just kept getting notifications and it was up to like 30 some odd notifications on that one that one tweet and i was like mm, i'm not gonna read any of these right now <laughs> <laughs> and so i finally did go back and read them a couple of days later and um I know we got some of some of you pretty worked up about it. I know a lot of people were pretty mad at Josh Wolf and uh, Chris Wellhausen specifically yelled at me after the game in Dallas because I told him I wasn't that mad about it. <laughs> he was very angry at the fact that I wasn't angry. And so, yeah, I, I know a lot of other people were mad about it as well. And that little audiogram kind of stirred that pot a little bit. And I, I think it's great that the fan base cares this much about the team and is is putting that kind of pressure on the team and on the coaches to compete and to perform better than they are. Some of the some people's takes on on Wolf and on that were probably a little bit overly emotional, but I, I do think it means that people care about it, which is a really good thing. Uh, everyone thinks about the game and enjoys the game a little bit differently, which is which is great. That's that's perfectly fine and uh, some of you let us know that you thought we were wrong which is also totally fine I still haven't changed my mind about <laughs> anything we said on the last show um, but I do think it's great that there's that kind of pressure uh, not only on the team and the coach but on us uh, I like that people care enough about it to get mad at us whenever they think we're wrong uh, but that's the kind of attention that's really going to drive the ambition of this club and I think it's it's a good thing overall even even if it does leave lead to some overly emotional takes at some time. Yeah, I, I have to agree with that. You know, and somebody today, did you see this uh, Claire Partain from Estonia? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like invited that. So if you're if you're like still mad about it, uh, I think Claire, Claire said her DMs are open. She's like taking fan frustration for what I would imagine will be a really wild uh, article on their website about uh, how everybody feels about Josh Wolf. Yeah, I can't wait to read that one for sure. <laughs> 
All right. Speaking of outrage, do you want to talk about the RSL match? We did well. So Katie Insign, I think, like at the end of the match, he said, "Oh, you've got it. You've got another week that you're not looking forward to doing to doing <laughs> the show." And I mean, in a way, what you right before you we came on, you said this this game was depressing, but in a slightly different way. So I think it's it's a fun one to talk about, just the narrative all the way through. So, but yeah, let's set it up and have a discussion. Yeah. So I, I you you have a note here in the notes about the just kind of stepping back to the wolf. Uh, the Wolf lineup against Dallas. Did you want to bring that up before we jump into RSL? Yeah, so in the midweek press conference, uh, there was a lot of questions uh, to Josh Wolf about the lineup uh, against Dallas. And, you know, he... I don't know, did you did you watch the full thing? I mean, he in a way, he said, you know, he took a cautious approach and a little... I think he admitted that he could have squeezed out a stronger lineup. You know, he I mean, he didn't say like oh gosh guys i screwed up and i'm sorry about that i'll never do it again but i thought i mean there, i think there was an admission that um he could have things done things differently in a way that would have led to a different result i almost i i don't know if i entirely agree i almost read it as like he i think the one of the direct quotes was we'll take the criticism and i i honestly kind of read that as like we made the decision so yeah we'll take the criticism but I don't know that he necessarily was saying like I was wrong and we deserve to be criticized. I think he said, yeah, it's just part of the job. We'll take it. Yeah. Well, I guess the, the one specific quote I was thinking about was when he talked about uh, Pochettino and he said, looking back, are there things that we, this is very Josh, are there things that we would change possibly <laughs> and mentioned putting <laughs> Tomas out there from the start, maybe he's able to do it. And I think that was the, among the moves, I feel like that was the one that got the most specific criticism about the lineup. Like you, you have a guy who was coming off being MLS player of the week um, and didn't start him from the beginning. Yeah. And Pochettino didn't go 90. I think he got pulled fairly early in that game. Is that true? Or am I thinking of Diego getting pulled? Uh, which one? I think Pochettino in, in the, sorry, in the, um, who did we even play? Who did we beat? Houston. Yeah. The Houston. He I got, thought- he pulled pretty, maybe pretty late, maybe like late seventies or so. So he did go pretty long, but anyway, um, yeah, I, I'm not sure that will entirely admitted fault, but, uh, he, yeah, he did, he did go as far to say that there are things that he could have done differently, which I, that's something I've always appreciated about him is that he doesn't seem like an overly proud person. And I think he, when he believes he was wrong, he'll, he'll say it and say like, yeah, we got that one wrong. We'll try to do better next time. Yeah. I think that that was the one thing I wanted to discuss on that one. And then, you know, the other big pregame narrative was just the excitement about seeing more of Sebastian Triussi, which we, which we can get into. Um, And there was every, you know, everybody had a lineup that they wanted to see. I think we saw those online a lot. Did you post one on, on, Probably um, not this time. No, I think I think I retweeted someone who posted essentially the exact same thing as me, though. So um, I I think the one that I retweeted had Nick Lima at right back. I could have gone either way and would have been happy to see either him or Jimenez. And it was that exact lineup essentially. And I think it was the one that most people wanted to see. Uh, ended up being the the back line you'd expect. So Colmich, Beasler, Cascante, Jimenez, uh, Ring, and Pereira as the deeper midfielders than uh, Pochettino kind of playing that, that free 10 like he has in a few games. And then Driussi at the nine, Dominguez on the left, 
Fagundes on the right. Uh, this is a very similar setup to what has looked really good against Houston and against Portland. And so I think going into it after that lineup got released, people were pretty excited about it, as as was I. Yeah, I felt the same way. I felt like that was the strongest 11 that we have um, to be able to put on the field. And I appreciate that you're able to read these sideways MLS uh, lineups because <laughs> it still annoys me that they don't align them top to bottom. And it takes me a minute to figure out. I have to turn yeah. my head sideways looking at the picture. I think they must do it to save page space, but I don't know. Um, anyway, in, in the game, I thought overall early in the game, Austin looked pretty good. Uh the press looked really good. Ourselves having a hard time playing out of it and had to play balls long pretty often. Um, the team play was pretty good early on in the game, but there was a lot of just like messy individual errors where they'd like move the ball around really well, move it up the field, and the guy would just kick it out of bounds or uh, play it straight to a defender. And just really frustrating things that we haven't really seen from Austin in those moments. It's We've seen them mess up in other ways, but not just like really silly mistakes like that as as frequently frequently as what we saw against RSL the other night. Yeah, I felt like for about the first 20 minutes, the same. It's like, oh, we're just going to clean up these sloppy individual mistakes and like we're controlling the ball and controlling possession and we've got the lineup we want and everything will be good, you know, and this is going to be a this is going to be a 2-0 win or whatever, which did not turn out that way. Um but there was a lot of positive action early on. Yeah, there was, um, I think, er, pretty early. I don't remember how when it was, but uh, Cecilio got a header, not just outside the six-yard six box that probably should have been on frame and was not. Uh, the f- next really big chance was in the 28th minute, uh, Diego Fugundes shot one from, from pr- pretty far out. They ended up, hitting the far crossbar and bouncing out. And I thought for sure that one was going in. It's just after that hit, I was like, oh man, is it going to be one of those nights tonight? And it ended up being one of those nights nights, nights, because I think in the first half we had, um, how many shots did we have? I think seven total shots. Yep. And were any of them on target? I don't think any of them were on target, were they? Well, the was the Pochettino header, which was the highest X goal shot of the game. That was shortly after that. He completely missed. So, oh, that's right, he did. Oh, that's right. I was thinking it was a save, but yeah, it was also not on target. Yeah, he that I think that one was probably a tougher header than what Cecilio's was, but the goal was more open for that one, which I think is probably why the XG score was a little higher on it. But uh, a few. Pretty good chances that were wasted. Diego's, I don't know if I would call it wasted, just a little bit unlucky, like a one inch to the right, and that ball bounces off the post and in. So, um, I, yeah, I was just hoping that wasn't a bad omen for the night, but unfortunately it was because we didn't really get many chances, r- many solid shots for the rest of the night, really. Um, yeah, and you just mentioned Pochettino's header was shortly after that, uh, the 32nd minute, RSL scores the only goal of the game. It's Bobby Wood. Um, Johnny Menendez uh, receives the ball kind of in transition on a breakaway. He tries to cross it in. Beasler blocks it. 
and the ball pops up into the air and kind of goes up to the sideline, gives the defense a chance to reset. Uh, Kolmanich is a little bit slow to put pressure on Menendez as he's getting a set. And I think he puts in a cross a little fast, puts in that second cross a little faster than what anybody expected. Cascante switches off for just a second and Wood's able to get in front of him and, and put a header into the ground. It's a really solid header uh, in, a, in a spot where Stuver didn't really have a chance. And uh, that ended up being the difference in the game. So, but I, I think you heard Wolf in the post-game press conference talk about Kolmanich being a little tired and maybe not uh, not dealing with the um, with the altitude very well. And I think that's one of the moments where maybe you saw it that he knows that Menendez can can burn burn past people. And so he's like, I'm just going to give him five or six yards because I don't want to get beat because I'm tired right now. He ends up putting it across and and whenever Cascante switches off, Wood's there for the easy header. Yeah, and the other note I wrote here after that was like, uh, Bobby Wood ran over and kissed a baby in the stands, <laughs> which yeah. I assumed to be his baby. It was his baby. Hopefully. Okay, they don't have like a stunt baby that they... I thought they it was like, <laughs> it's, it's a tradition in, in Salt Lake because yeah. if you score a goal, you go and kiss a baby. Yeah, it's like their temper Joey. <laughs> <laughs> um. In the 43rd minute is when Jean Kolmanich gets injured. Uh, he got his ankle stepped on. Didn't look great. Um, he was able to walk off the pitch on his own, but it didn't look very good. So uh, Lima ends up coming on at halftime for him. In the 47th minute, so after halftime, during half, they went into halftime. It's like, okay, they're like, they're almost there. Austin looks pretty good. I think if Wolf can make a few changes at halftime, that Austin can win this game. And 47th minute, Justin Miram draws a yellow card on Cascante. Uh, they, the VAR asks it, asks for it to be reviewed. They go and look at it, and the official comes back and gives Julio Cascante a yellow card for denial of a goal-scoring opportunity. First of all, before we get any deeper on it, did what do you think about that? Is that a fair decision? Do you think that was denial of a goal-scoring opportunity? Like, there were some other defenders tracking back that maybe could have gotten there, but do you think that was a fair red? They were tracking back, but they were a long way. They were a long. They were on the other side of the box, right? I mean, they were not. Yeah. They were not near the ball, so. By the strict letter of the law, yes, I believe he was den denying a goal-scoring opportunity. But it's also something I feel like I see a lot of that doesn't get called that way. Yeah, it was, for me, like right on the line. I think the ref could have gone either way, but I think it was maybe just on the side of the line of a red. Had one of those other two defenders maybe hustled back a little bit faster, I think maybe they could have made the argument that, okay, there's another defender there, but they didn't get back fast enough. And so Cascante was there kind of on his own. Another twist to this is that before Justin Miram received the ball, it, it, I'm pretty sure he was offside. And so if they looked at it in VAR, they should have seen that he was offside and the foul should have never been called at all. Shouldn't have mattered at all, right? And Alex Ring expressed his his displeasure with that in the in the post-match press conference as well that 
uh, he he didn't let back on the refs or on the the reporters for that <laughs> for that matter. But right. Um, but yeah, I I think Austin has to feel hard done by there. I I don't think this ref did a very good job, and I'm not just saying against Austin. I think there was probably a couple other moments where Cascante could have very easily gotten a yellow and maybe a borderline red for one of his tackles in the game, like maybe like an orange card for a tackle earlier in the game. But I, yeah, I think the rest did a pretty poor job. I think some of the calls went against Austin, but I think RSL probably has some complaints about him as well. Um, So sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say that, that, I mean, it was so close to being just the kind of thing that, like a professional foul that you expect Cascante to make, right? Because he, he, we know who he is, right? I mean, he's not that fast. He's got to be crafty and, you know, he's got to make those kind of moves, but it was just, um, yeah, it was just on the other side of the line, I feel like. And right. the other thing that annoyed me about it was the fact that VAR is what made it happen. Like, if it's called on the field in that way, you're like, okay, well, it's the heat of the moment and blah, blah, blah. But the fact that, on the field, in the moment, it wasn't a card, and then they went to VAR, and that's how that's what it got upgraded. I think that was that's what it made it extra um, painful. As yeah, a, as a call. Yeah, to go to VAR and then still get it wrong in a way because of missing the offside. But yeah, it's pretty frustrating. Um, I think after that, the only shot on target was ring shot from. Uh, from outside the box in the 55th minute. That was maybe one of the better Alex ring shots we've seen all year. It ended up hitting the keeper right in the chest, but he hit it really hard, which yeah, is that's right. a lot of, a lot of times when he's taking shots, he's kind of scuffed them or like hasn't really done much with it, but it was a really well hit shot and just hit the keeper in the chest. I, I don't know if you felt this way, but it almost seemed like Austin got more aggressive after they went down a man. Did you feel that? I didn't well what I did feel is like it never really seemed like they were down a man. Like it didn't seem to change their possession. It didn't seem to change the way they played. Like I don't I mean they had fewer shots in the second half than in the first half. So if they were more aggressive, like it didn't lead to a lot of results. But um I'm I mean they, more they didn't from suffer a, for it. I think more from a from the standpoint of like guys trying stuff. You see yeah. you saw just like a lot of little flicks and one time one time touches and like one twos going around people and you're right. Like in the end, it didn't lead to more shots or anything, but it just seemed like they were pushing harder for it. Cause they knew they were down a man. And I couldn't help but think like if they would have played with that kind of intensity in the first half, like maybe we wouldn't have been in this position, but it's like balancing like the whole possession thing and knowing where those moments are where you can let loose and just go for it. And when you take the extra touch and make a sideways pass and it doesn't seem like they've really gotten that down and they didn't really show the aggression until they were down a man and had their backs against the wall. And they were and sort so, of forced at that point. Right. I mean, you don't have a right, choice. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd be curious to see, like, it makes me wonder if, if maybe Wolf is showing them footage of that part of the game saying like you, what you were doing here, do that in the eighth minute and not the 58th minute when you're down, man. Like I, I I imagine there's some other things that are probably a a bit against his game plan, but um, just to see the mentality of the guys, like knowing that they have to go 
make something of this was maybe something that uh, that I don't know that I, I wish we would see from the guys in other other moments as well. Um, one of the major moments of the game after that was when Drewsy got fouled. I was terrified when this happened <laughs> because it's like okay, our most expensive player, our best attacking player, probably new DP guy, the guy who has to be good in order to save the season, just got his knee bent in a not natural direction and limps off the field. Or before he limped off the field, he was just laying on the field surrounded for by a long time, training yeah. staff for quite a while. And I was so scared during that moment. Ended up walking off the field without any help, which I was a good sign. Um, a lot of times with like ligament damage, especially if it's like an ACL thing, there's some tests they can do in the moment to have a good idea of if it's still at least somewhat intact. And so what, the fact that they let him stand up and walk off the field on his own was a really good sign to me. I mean, I, I imagine they did MRIs and stuff afterwards and there still could have been some kind of damage in it, but at least it it made me confident that it wasn't a complete ACL tear. It might've been something else, but that's probably worst case scenario. And I, I figured it wasn't that after we saw, uh, saw him walk off the field on his own. Um, not a ton of other chances from that point on and the game ended one nil, but on that juicy uh, injury, do you think it was a foul? And do you think there should have been a card there? I guess the I guess the card's a question. That's one of those like if you see on social media, I saw this like studs in the side of his knee about with his knee looking like it was buckling like a dozen times um, from different like Austin based people saying it should have been a card. But I think if you watch it, that's like the follow through after. That's like the worst moment at all, right? That's like it grabbed a free frame of of of, of what it could be. But I could see it being a yellow, maybe. But I think the, he got the guy got ball too, right? He kicked the ball yeah, and then on the, the follow through, and then on the kicked, yeah, through. his leg. Yeah, and so I in in the moment I didn't think it should have been a card. I didn't watch it again because <laughs> I've had knee injuries, and since then I don't like watching knees bend the ways they're not supposed to. And so I didn't watch it again. Um, but yeah, I, in the moment I didn't think there was anything that wrong with it. I thought it was kind of bad luck on everybody's part, but I saw some other people say that they definitely thought it should have been a card. And I think, was it Wolf or Ring? One of them said in the post-match presser that they thought it definitely should have been a red as well. That, yeah, that was one of the things that Ring was mad about when he said, uh, I think when he said, like, I know players get fined for talking about rest, but I don't give a, you know, whatever. <laughs> and just he t- he t- yeah he talked about that and felt like it should have been a card for sure. All right, let's jump into some individual performances. So I thought one of the worst performances of the night was Cecilio Dominguez. Um, I he was kind of sloppy on offense, had some really heavy touches, uh, and Cecilio is one of these guys that like I feel like pretty often you see him kind of take a heavy touch. And like, oh, that was that was pretty poor. But then he like uses it to run past a guy somehow. I was like, oh, maybe he meant to do that. 
some of the ones against RSL were very clearly not intentional and were just sloppy. And so I think that was worse than normal, but also defensively, I don't think he put in as much effort as he usually does. There was a few moments where he would be tracking back and a guy would receive it on the wing and pretty regularly, like, I want to say most of the time, like a very high percentage of the time, the way Wolf has his defensive rotation set up is the fullbacks will stay inside. And if a ball gets played out to the wing, it's the, it's the winger's responsibility to work back and put pressure on that ball if it's not too, too far upfield. And there was a couple of times where the ball got played there and Cecilio stayed put and was yelling at Kolmanich to run out and push on him. You could see them arguing a couple of times on the field. And I'm unless Wolf gave them different directions for this game, um, Cecilio was in the wrong there. There's a, a few times when he definitely should have been the one putting pressure on the ball, and he just didn't do it. And well, I, w- at least one of them led to like a pretty dangerous moment. I think uh, the header that Krylock missed in the first half was created by one of those moments where Cecilia didn't put pressure on it and Kolmanich had to run out late and didn't get pressure in time. And I saw a lot of calls for him to be like the person subbed off for Gallagher either at halftime or early in the second half um, in the moment, which would have made sense. But you also have to look at, I mean, how much do you think injuries? So Kolmanich's injury, that's a direct replacement, but could, it seems like maybe he should have he should have come off the field. Just He just not did not seem into it at all. Maybe, I, maybe I, at halftime. I thought the same. Like I didn't I didn't think he looked great and like didn't look like he had a lot of energy. And so I was kind of surprised he wasn't the one that got pulled off earlier. In fairness, I think some of his better moments came in some of those stretches later in the game where uh him and Driussi and uh and Pochettino were kind of combining whenever they're pushing up in those breakaway moments. But um, yeah, I, I honestly was a little bit disappointed when he wasn't the person getting taken, taken off earlier on. Yeah. So what about, what about Triusi? What did you see out of him in his 72 minutes? I think I almost wanted to say he struggled to find the game, but I don't think that's entirely true. I think the game struggled to find him a little bit. Um, RSL was kind of, uh, cramping up the middle. They had their wingers tucked in really narrow and were forcing us to play it out wide. And I think that kind of limited how much we were able to play through the middle, which limited how much we were able to get it to Drusi. But in moments where he did get on the ball, you can see like, oh yeah, he's, he's one of our better players, probably our most talented attacking player and you you saw those those sparks um i don't think he's a natural number nine i don't think we're going to see the best of him with him playing there i'm hoping after a full another full week of practice the guys getting to know each other a little better uh kind of knowing how to work with each other in those areas that they'll be a little bit better and if they do play him at the nine again that he'll kind of know a bit more what to do and the other guys will know what to do with him there. But it almost felt like too many guys were kind of trying to play the same way. It's like Cecilio and Diego and Drusi 
are all guys who like to float back into the midfield and receive the ball there. And if all of them are doing that, then it's not, it doesn't really do any good, right? Like we need somebody going the other way to kind of stretch that line and, and to do something a bit different. And when all these guys like to do the same thing, I think it's going to lead to, to just some unnatural movement and a lack of, of any dangerous opportunities. Yeah. I think that we're going to look a lot different in a month than we do right now. And you know, that time together is probably underestimated and getting an actual number nine in will obviously be super helpful. And maybe at some point we'll have one of our other nines healthy and we'll look completely different. Um, so one other player that I'm interested in your opinion on before we get into like some of the stats and stuff is like Julio Cascante. Cause well, I feel like he had a really, really strong July and we spent a lot of time talking about how much we loved him, but I feel like he's been exposed a little bit in the last couple matches too, just like getting out of position to where he, his weaknesses um, are exploited right in a way. Like he, he traditionally like he's for a long time positioned himself in a way that like, we all know he's slow, but it's okay because he, he was always in the right place. And, but I feel like he's been exposed a bit the last couple matches. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think so as well. And I think, uh, in maybe not necessarily in this game, but in some of the last few games, we weren't playing ring as deep in between the center backs. And I think that's been kind of the key for when, uh, when Cascante has not been exposed is if he has ring back there with him to, so like Cascante can play a little bit wider and be a little bit safer out there and not have to sprint back a million miles to cover ground. Um, but yeah, and I also think offensively, he made a couple of bad, bad passes against RSL and then was seemed to be playing really aggressively as well, like almost reckless at times. Like I said before, I think there's a few times he, he should have gotten a yellow anyway. Um, but I, I, I would still say he's been pretty good for the most part, but yeah, there, I think there are moments where he's, and it's not even being exposed for skill. It's just being in a position to where his speed gets exposed. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something... I mean, he knows the player he is, and Josh does too, right? And you just you yeah. try to sort of scheme around that, and it just hasn't happened lately um, in a few moments. A few other players that I thought were actually really good. Uh, Tomas Pochettino was really good anywhere but inside the box. Uh, it's had quite a few really good dribbles, really dangerous moments, but then he missed that header. There's another shot that I think he ended up skying and it wasn't in a super dangerous position, but he should have at least put it on frame. Um, but he kind of playing that free tin role again, he looked really solid and really dangerous. And so I'm hoping we can continue working that in with, with Drew C on the field as well. So they can maybe find some rhythm together. Um, Matt Beasler, I thought was, was really good. There's some transition moments that Matt Beasler stopped by himself, essentially either being in the right, right place, right time, sticking his foot out at the exact right moment to block something. Um, and then I feel like there was one other player I was going to name. Maybe not, maybe just those two. <laughs> and Brad, Brad Stuber was, was very good as well. Had a couple of really big saves. Yeah. You want to talk a little bit, uh, about the, about the numbers here. So possession, yeah, let's do it. Possession is always 50, 57% possession. And I think you looked this up right on, on who scored 
even after the red, we still held more possession uh, than yeah. RSL. Is that right? From from the red card on, we still had 52% possession, which is not something you normally see from a team playing down a man. Yep. Uh, we were outshot. Uh, and a lot of that came after the red card, which I think makes sense. Um, as we mentioned, they had the one shot on target all night. Um, always more passes, always higher per- passing percentage. I don't think I've ever seen a match, even when we've, we've been out-possessed, that we haven't been out-passed. And then one of the things that I thought from who scored that was you know computer-generated, but harsh, but fair, is when they... <laughs> there's this section where they go through every team's like strengths, weaknesses, and styles in the match. And so RSL has, what, four listed strengths? And Austin, it just says... There are no significant strengths, which I feel like <laughs> yeah. really summarizes the way that we played uh, that night. Yes. Harsh but fair. Who scored.com. Harsh but fair. Oh, well, we mentioned the injuries. Uh, luckily, they didn't turn. We heard on Sunday that they were not as bad as we were afraid they were going to be um, on Saturday night at all. Yeah. Uh, they Austin FC put out a press press release saying that Coleman-ish's injury was a mild ankle sprain and that Drew C was a, I think they said lower leg contusion is contusion just means bruise, right? Right. Right. That's exactly yeah. what it is. So that's excellent news. And I think it said that kind of depending on, on how they react to treatment this week, we'll, we'll decide whether or not they're available on Wednesday. But the fact that neither of them are long-term injuries is, amazing news and i was very relieved to see that when i saw the email come in and the press release was like there's like a whole paragraph before they said what it was and i was like my heart it was i felt like it was like a like a college acceptance letter or something like it's like just put it really big at the top what the news is what so what do you think about that i mean do you think there's really any chance that we'll see him on wednesday i feel like that's a really quick turnaround given what has happened I think they could. Um, I think of the two, I would be more surprised to see Kolmanich, uh, just because ankles are ankles are tricky, and as much running as he's as he's going to have to do, and then also the fact that he already looked pretty tired in that game, that maybe he would need some rotation anyway. Uh, Driusi's maybe seems like one of those that if it's just on his leg and isn't an actual knee injury that that's maybe something he could just play through um, and is not necessarily going to be a danger to his health, but I think we'll just have to see, but I would imagine at least Drew C would be available off the bench. Um, But yeah, we'll, we'll probably have to, well, I guess this, this show is going to come out on Tuesday and there's going to be a press conference on Tuesday afternoon. We might get some more info then, but I honestly wouldn't be surprised if we didn't know anything until Wednesday evening. Yeah, I, from from attending enough Josh Preston conferences, well, like any coach, I don't think he's going to give away on Tuesday what's going to happen the next day. So I think he'll, it'll be some, you know, we're observing them day to day, and we'll see how they react to treatment. And, and we've, and, and we've seen him do the opposite before, right? Like, I don't remember what game it was that, they're essentially sandbagging a little bit and saying like, Oh, Alex rings probably not going to be available. And then he started and played 90 minutes or something that day. So uh, who knows? We'll, we'll find out Wednesday night at the very latest. Uh, what else we got here, Jeremiah? Oh, well, there's one thing that Wolf said, like at least it was, it's the new not being ruthless 
Uh, he said <laughs> at least twice in the post-game press conference is he talked about breaking lines. He said, we need to break lines more than once in a post-match. And I was wondering if you could explain to the average soccer fan, like what he's, what is he communicating there? I think the thing he said more than that was we need to make runs behind the line. That's which yes, that's true. Yeah. He's, it's two sides of the same coin though. So breaking the line is essentially playing a pass. Like say you have like your line of midfield defenders and your back line. It would be kind of like the Julio Cascante special is like playing a ball from the back line into Cecilio Dominguez in the front, like by bypassing those midfielders, you would say that's breaking the line. I think the line he's talking about is the back line because you see us with all this possession, just passing it around the box. The way you get in behind that is by somebody making a run behind that line and playing the ball either over or around or through any of those ways, but there's, you don't really get the chance to do that if there's nobody making that run. And it kind of goes back to what I was saying about Diego and Drewsi and Cecilio all kind of liking to drop back in and receive the ball there. At that point, the only guys making those deep runs are our fullbacks. And so that's great that they're doing it, but they shouldn't be the only people doing it. And so I think that's the thing he's talking about. And it, I don't know, it's, it's a little bit frustrating. It's like, well, why do you keep doing the same thing if these guys aren't, aren't doing it? But I honestly do think it's a little bit of the personnel. It's like, okay, these guys are best in these positions and it's kind of against their nature to do those kinds of things. But uh, it's, I think you're right that it's like, I don't know, like, why is he saying this so much and why doesn't he change it? But I think it's true and that it is something that it's, it's kind of like changing these players' natures a little bit. And we, we, we do need to get some of these guys making those kinds of runs or this is never going to change. Yeah. And the other quote he had that I was really frustrated by the morning after the game, which I can probably take some of my sarcasm back on is when he said, you see what the culture is. I think you see what the environment, the identity is. This team works and they're tireless and they play good soccer. And I'm like, but do they play good soccer? Like, have, <laughs> have, have we seen that? But I mean, now that I've had another day to sort of process this, I feel like a little bit less um, frustrated by that comment. But I mean, I don't know. We, we play good soccer in moments, but how much good soccer overall do you feel like you've seen this year? I think it's a matter of opinion. I think like some people get bored by Barcelona matches, right? And like when a team has 70% of the ball, like it's not always the most fun thing to watch. And so I think you could say that in a lot of the games, we've possessed the ball and like passed the ball really well. Um, some people like that and call that good soccer. I honestly do kind of like watching possession possession soccer. So I kind of like watching that. And I would call what we've seen a lot of times good soccer, but not every game. <laughs> By no means every game has it been good soccer. Um, other people would say that teams who score goals play good soccer and we've definitely not done that. So I think that is a valid, a valid argument and a valid criticism of that quote to say that Austin plays good soccer when we've scored the fewest goals in the entire league. All right. I think that's, I think it's where we're coming from, um, (laughs) on that, on that one for sure. So I feel like we've probably talked enough about this particular match so we can, we'll probably take a break, do some previews, 
and uh, cover some other Austin FC news if you're ready for it. Yeah, and then there's one specific thing you wanted to talk talk about after the break. Let's maybe tease that real quick. Okay, uh, the big online debate this week was how much of an excuse like is is being is Austin being an expansion team like a legitimate reason for the way things are going, or is this just an excuse that's like a loser's explanation of the situation? And so we did some research, or I did some research on how how teams have done it. So we can talk about that after the break. Like, what should we really reasonably expect out of an expansion team? And do we need to revise our preseason predictions? All right. I can't wait for that. We'll be right back. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FEF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. You can go to FEF.law to find out what makes FEF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FEF.law. All right, let's talk about hot sauce. Let's do it. Uh, Teardrop Pepper Company has finally created the perfect recipe right here in Austin, Texas. Their all-natural, award-winning hot sauce has a delicious blend of flavor and heat, enhancing your favorite foods and leaving you wanting more. And I think, Landon, you've had it. What have you What have you put them on so far? Uh, I'm mostly putting them on breakfast tacos. Uh, I tend to make breakfast tacos here at the house like three or four days a week, which I don't know if that's the best idea or not, but it's a thing I do. Uh, but also just got back from Mexico and talking to people there they would like people at restaurants or people we'd meet outside of taco stands or whatever i think some of them were like surprised that the two white people were were getting all the hottest sauces on the counter and stuff and it's like oh no no, we're from texas we do this all the time it's fine trust us <laughs> um but yeah as i mentioned on the last show teardrop pepper company's hot sauces have a really good blend of that heat the heat and flavor which i i really dig so you could try either the zesty kick of Golden Habanero or the garlicky smoothness of Supreme Serrano to spice up your Austin FC pre-match meals, breakfasts, or Bloody Marys. <laughs> uh, Teardrop Pepper Company has two unique flavors available, and you can order them from their website, teardroppepperco.com, or from their social media pages. And use offer code GOAL to save 10% off your order. Put it on everything, they'll make more. All right, Jeremiah, before the break, you teased a little debate that you saw happening online about whether or not Austin FC is having a normal season for an expansion team or if that's a loser's mentality and people are just making excuses. So what did your research show? Yes, I went back to the last eight expansions, so basically going back to 2015, which is when New York City FC and Orlando entered the league. Um so the eight teams are New York, NYCFC, Orlando, Atlanta, Minnesota, LAFC, Cincinnati, Nashville, and Miami. And I think there are like two probably clear, clear outliers to the good and one to the bad. And that being that Atlanta in 2017 would finish fourth in the Eastern Conference. Uh, the following year, they finished second. Uh, LAFC was sort of an outlier to the good too. So in 2018, they finished third in the West. Then they won the West in their second season. Um, and then on the other side of things, like Cincinnati, I think everybody knows, is like historically terrible. 
um, in both 2019, 2020, and they're continuing forward in 2021. So when you throw when you throw those out, you've got a pretty good set. If you got five expansion clubs, um, and they did not do great in the first year, but they weren't they weren't the worst team in the league. I think is the summary is that like we it was probably a fool's errand to expect us to finish like top five or top six given the way expansion is gone, but also finishing last is outside of the norm too. Yeah. And looking at just the first year results here, am I right in seeing that only three of those teams have made the playoffs? And I think Nashville in in their first season, and I think Nashville made it in like a play-in round against Miami. Right, right, right. Yeah. So yeah, Atlanta LAFC and Nashville slash Miami in the weird year that was 2020, the only ones that made the playoffs. And then, you know, like NYFCFC, Orlando, Minnesota, Cincinnati all finished outside of it. So, you know, they did, they, most of them weren't at the bottom of the table, but in the, or the bottom of the conference, but they were, they were outside the playoffs too. Um, and then the, the other thing I thought was a bit heartwarming is that many of those teams did a lot better in the second season once they got off um, just being expansion clubs. So NYFCFC went from eighth in the East to second in the East. Yeah, Atlanta improved. Um, who was it? Oh, Minnesota. I think Minnesota was their third year. Never mind. They they did a lot better in the third year. They did about the same in the second. Yeah. So I, I, this is something I feel like maybe I harp on too much, but I think a trend between some of these teams that have done poorly year after year is poor roster building. And so Minnesota essentially tried to start off with the USL team. And then it took them two years to build a real team after that. Cincinnati spent way too much money and got locked up on these long contracts. And so, like I've said many times before, Austin is not in that situation. They're going to be in, pre- in a pretty good place to strengthen the roster in the offseason. And they'll they'll have the, the roster flexibility and the, the cap space to actually be able to do that. So uh, even if this season ends up not getting any better than it is now, I think we'll have a real opportunity to improve going into the next season. Um, yeah. Or like, or, you know, Orlando missed, missed the playoffs. What the first four years, I think, I think the first finishing. several years. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember how many it was. Yes. Yeah, so I think it was, yeah, it was four or five. And then just like the last couple of years, they've been really good. But if you have no history with the league, you know, they were uh, an example of how not to build an expansion franchise too. So, I mean, it's been, it's been bumpy and it's been tough. And I, I think, Everybody needs to probably appreciate the difficulty of it. I think everybody thinks about basically everybody thinks about Atlanta and LAFC. And right. Thinks that this should be like an easy thing for people to do, but they had very unique circumstances. You know, they had a ton of money. Um, Atlanta's got a really unique situation with Arthur, with their ownership. You know, and Arthur Blank and the stadium and everything. And LAFC is a little bit the same way too. So I think somebody like Nashville, Minnesota, you know, Orlando are probably more sort of standard tales for how an expansion build goes or can go good or bad. I've also seen some suggestions recently with, with all of the, the info information coming out about Miami and them having five players that should have been designated players. I've seen some, some suggestions saying that that Atlanta United team for those first two years is probably one of the teams that, nobody really wants to dig too deep on within MLS. Cause like maybe that team had five, five designated players as well, but 
let's just not talk about it. It's in the past now. And you look at how many of those players they had to get rid of after those first couple of years and the situation they're in now, they've gotten worse at pretty much every position. And, and so I don't know. I'm, I don't want to throw any accusations out, but I think it's not beyond the realm of possibility that maybe they had some, some fudged roster budget as well. All right. Another, another thing that I thought would be fun to talk about is before the season started, we made predictions on where we thought Austin was going to finish the season. And I think I picked them to be eighth. And what, what did you pick? I picked him seventh. So you, and, you picked him as the last playoff spot. It's the last playoff spot. As missing it by one spot. So I thought it would be fun to go back to that and maybe adjust our, our predictions and see if we want to change them or if we want to leave them where they were. I go am first? more than happy to change my mind <laughs> at this point after what I've seen. I know it, it was one of the ones that we had. I think we had Phil on, Phil West on, and we did a season preview. And Phil and I gave you such a hard time for being disloyal and not picking Austin to make the playoffs in the first season. And I think 10th is where I would pick them now. I think that's fair. Um, I am still an eternal optimist. I'm going to drop them down one spot to ninth. Um, I think it's still a possibility for them to make the playoffs. We've seen statistically they're underperforming on expected goals. If those goals start getting scored at some point, they could very easily skyrocket up. And really it's, there's not that much distance between those spots. Uh, Portland is in seventh with 23 points. Austin has 16. So they could make that up in, what is that? Three games, a three game swing that could be made up, but you're relying on these other teams to be losing games at that point as well. And then Austin also has to start beating these teams at some point. And by losing games to RSL, uh, we're playing Vancouver. We're going to talk about that in a second, but these are the games that you have to win and they haven't been doing that at this point. So it, something has to change. And I, I still think that it could like this team is not as bad as what they've been performing. Um, but they still haven't showed it. So if, if they don't make that change quick, then they're not going to move up many spots for the rest of the season. Well, I mean, we're playing Vancouver and Portland this week. So if, if this is going to turn around, it's, uh, you know, we, we got to pick these points up like right now. And I think the other odd thing about this is, man, the state of Texas is not a great state for, <laughs> for yeah. major leagues, for Western conference teams right now. Right. I mean, if we, if we do end up ninth, there's a really good chance that we'll be ninth and the highest finishing Texas team in the table because we will probably need to finish above both Dallas and Houston to do that. Yeah. All right. Let's preview that Vancouver game. So this is going to be another three game week in, in eight days or whatever it is. So Wednesday night against Vancouver, uh, there's some, some cool events going on before the game. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that, Jeremiah? Yeah. So there's this, uh, thing called street FC, which is a hard court soccer league, uh, founded by Kyle Martino, and uh, I was on a call with him last week, kind of talking about this event, and he loves to say the F word a lot, which I appreciate. <laughs> um, but it's going to be an effing cool event, was what Kyle said about five times on this call. Um, so they're going to do a uh, outdoor 
hardcore uh, soccer matches at five and at six on Wednesday night, open to everybody in the Circle Brewery parking lot. And it's going to be a joint event hosted by uh, Austin Anthem, Los Verdes, and La Murga de Austin. So basically, the entire fan base will invite folks out to uh, play some soccer on a, it's basically a basketball court sized um, pitch um, on, the, on the turf. And so that'll be a fun thing. Um, if anybody wants to come out and check that out, try to touch Kyle, Kyle Martino's hair. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he has, soccer, he has snipers, snipers set up to, if anybody gets close to his hair. Keep, keep people off of him. But yeah, I think that, that'll be a cool thing to do before the Vancouver matches. Just come out and drink beer and watch it. I, mean, I think it'll be a lot of fun. And he, he, he and his team promise it'll be, a, it'll be a pretty neat event. All right, so tell us a little about a little bit about the history of the Vancouver Whitecaps. Yeah, so the the MLS version of the Vancouver Whitecaps started in 2011. Um, they've never been particularly good. Uh, one of the things that so there's this Cascadia Cup, right? Just Seattle, Portland, and Vancouver, and I feel like they've always kind of been the third wheel in that. And that did make me wonder, like, is that the same thing in Texas? Like, is Austin going to be the third wheel between Dallas and Houston and and Austin, or are we gonna? make something else out of that. I think it depends on if Austin ever gets good because I think Vancouver has been the third wheel. I think like part of it's like proximity and culture and all of that. But Vancouver, like you said, has just never really been good. And so nobody really cares about that part of the rivalry because they've never really been a threat to the other two teams in Texas. I think if Austin has a, a very good chance of, of becoming a better soccer team than these other two teams. Also, as far as fan support goes, Portland and Seattle both have amazing fan bases. And so that, that plays into it as well. Austin has already shown that it has a much larger and louder fan base than either of the other two Texas teams. And so I don't think it's going to be the exact same situation, but on the field, we definitely need to step up our performance if we want to be considered a real rival on the field, because we've not really shown that we're going to do that this season. Yeah, that's, that's a good point on that. So, you know, this year going into the season, I think everybody had Vancouver picked near the bottom of the Western conference and they have proven that that was probably a pretty good, pretty good (laughs) thought. Uh, I think after the Houston match, when we were all excited that Austin was like not in last, it was because we were ahead of Vancouver, but now we've fallen back behind. So now Vancouver sits in 12th on, um, 17 points in 18 games. We're at 16 points in 18 games. So this this will be a deciding match in uh, where we sit in the Western Conference after that. Um, they did have the worst goal differential in the Western Conference, but Portland got blown out uh, badly enough by Seattle on Sunday to make that change. Um, what else do we know about them? So they've only kept four clean sheets this season. Um, I don't think they've given up as many goals as some other teams, but they've given up goals in almost every game, which is a good sign for Austin. Uh, Hopefully we can take advantage of that and actually score a goal and not give them their fifth. They have the lowest shots on target in MLS with only 56. Austin for reference has 68. I think we're like sixth or seventh from the bottom. Uh, Vancouver is at the very bottom in that stat. I think some of their players to watch um, are going to be Christian Dahomey, Diver Caicedo, and then they recently signed Ryan Gauld, who's a Scottish guy. I think he's 25 years old, uh, a 
attacking midfielder. I think he's played on the wing some as well. But uh, he looks like he could be a pretty good player once he kind of gets settled in. Lucas Cavallini was supposed to be one of their their big guys this season. He ended up getting injured either last game or two games ago, and he's going to be out for six weeks, so we won't see him. Uh, but these other guys are are actually quite good players and probably should be doing a bit more uh, than than what stats would say. But uh, I, I think they're the kind of players that if Austin FC isn't really tight and focused in transition defensively that these guys could really hurt us. So I think definitely something to watch out for. And they, they have not won a game on the road this year, uh, which matches them with Houston, I think is the only team that has won. Oh, well, Nashville also, sorry, hasn't, but um, so there's, you know, all the, all the opportunities there for us to pick up a win on Wednesday yeah. night. Um, so we were talking about, Coleman and kind of the chances of him being available for this game. If he is unavailable, who would you want to see play left back? Who Aiden Stanley, I feel like. Is would you rather see Stanley or would you rather have Lima play on the left slightly out of position? Because he played there for a while the other night and has played there. I think he played for the national team on the left and then played some on the left for San Jose as well. So he's not entirely out of place over there. But if you put him over there, then you're, you're getting 90 minutes of Hector Jimenez then, right? Like, I think you have to look at all three of your options and how they, how they sit. And I would rather start Stanley on the left and Lima on the right, or Jimenez on the right and have Lima come in than um, count on Jimenez to go 90 minutes on a Wednesday night in the second game of three games in eight days. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's something to consider just the rotation part of it. So uh, that, that'll be one of the spots I'm definitely interested in seeing what, what happens is if he's not available to see who plays. But uh, on, is it Saturday or Sunday when we play Portland? It's on Saturday because it's, Saturday. My, it's my youngest son's 10th birthday. And it took a lot of negotiation to, uh, to get me out to that game that night. But I will be, <laughs> I will be there on Saturday night. Actually, my two best friends from high school happen to be in town this weekend, um, and so we're all going to head to the head to Saturday night to watch us play uh, Portland. Nice. So, uh, what has changed about Portland since the last time we saw them? Yeah. So I got, I got most of this from reading the Seattle uh, preview on on Sunday, and they talked about how uh, they're a lot healthier. Um, Blanco's back. You know, he had a what an ACL injury, right? Like. 10 months ago and has been slowly working his way back to fitness played almost the full game on Sunday. Um, they did have a couple of good results before this weekend. So they came, they was like a, they had, had a win in the draw right before. Um, so I think we should expect more of them. There's no Obobese. Right. Which will change. He's been traded. Uh, so he's gone. And then I, I don't think Eric Williams was even on the team sheet against Seattle the other day. So I'm not sure if he's injured or what the deal with him is, but he started against us and has been one of their better players all season. So I'm not sure if he'll be available. So that'll be one of the, the changes in the negative. Uh, one of the other additions is Jimmy Chara is going to be available for this one. And I think he was injured for the last game as well. So um, 
I'm yeah, I'm interested to see if Blanco is good to go 90. Uh, Valeri has not been starting every game. He's getting a little bit older and not really going to be doing that. But maybe in this midweek game, we do see him start and go 60. Um, overall, it is going to be uh, a slightly stronger team just having people back from injuries. But honest, it's not as much stronger as I thought it was going to be when looking at these rosters, just because of losing a Bobasi. Uh, if Williams isn't Williamson isn't available, then that would change it. But um, I think overall it will be a stronger team than what we saw before. But I mean, it's a team. I don't know. I mean, does, does their style of play work for us? You know, did we just have a great night? Is that? I mean, what, what do you? How do you think that that plays out? Is there anything we can learn from the way that we played in the previous match that applies to this one? So Chris Bills. Um, was writing about this before the RSL game and after the RSL game. And he was one of his kind of predictions for the match is if, if Austin is playing well against RSL, then it's going to be difficult to tell what position any of those front four players are playing. And that ended up not being the case. It was very much the case against Portland. The first time Diego started on the left wing and spent most of his time in the middle of the field. Uh, Cecilio was the nine and also spent a lot of time floating around all, all over the place. Pochettino played the 10, but spent a lot of time wide and moved around a ton. We didn't see that against RSL. And I think that's something that, that really helped against Portland last time. So I think just the, the players being in the groove enough and feeling comfortable enough to move like they did last time and play off of each other. Like they did last time is something that will lead to lead to success against Portland. I think Portland has given up the most goals in the entire league and now have, like you mentioned before, the, the worst goal differential. So the goals are there to be had. If Austin takes them, then Portland will let them. We just need to be halfway competent on offense and finish chances like we did last time we played them and we'll score the goals. So, um, that, that's not a given with this Austin team, but it is, it, it's there for the taking if, if they want it. All right, so we are looking forward to those two games coming up this week. Some other Austin FC news. I, I think I added a little tag onto the beginning of last week's show because we got news that Musa Jite was going to be in town, but we haven't really got a chance to talk about it since then. So he landed... I think last Monday, last Tuesday. Um, I think it was on. So we recorded that one on Sunday night, right? I think they. I think on Monday night is when some fans met him at the airport. So that's right. Yeah, late Monday night, and we saw uh, Taylor Rudolph and Stephanie Dempsey. Was she out there? There's four or five. Stephanie Everett Dempsey for sure, and I don't remember who else was. Yeah, there's four or five fans ended up meeting GJ at the airport, which was pretty awesome to see uh, that they were tracking his flight and knew when he was going to get there. But he is in town. He is training on his own for the time being. Um, we're expecting him, as far as like quarantine timeline, to start training with the team on Tuesday. Given the fact that he's really only going to get one session with the team, do we think we'll see him on the field against Vancouver on Wednesday? I can't imagine. I don't. I don't think we see him this week. And the other thing about that is he hasn't played in a long time, right? right. Wasn't yeah. the other, Josh Wolf talked about that? That right. So like, uh, Juicy was just coming off being in game action, but uh, who knows what shape 
GTA's in and whether he's ready to go for any time at all. I'd be surprised. We saw him at Top Golf, so at least he's enjoying that. I don't know if you saw that on Instagram, but no, I didn't see it. I, yeah, yep, he's checked out Top Golf, but I w- so I'd be surprised if we saw him in either match at all. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I I w- would be very surprised if he even dressed f- for Vancouver. I I would expect to see him at least on the bench against Portland. I don't know if they would put him in or not, but I would expect to at least have him on the bench. He he'll have probably two or three training sessions in at that point. And just to kind of get him integrated into the team, like from a cultural standpoint, even if you're not going to play him, like just to get him out there going, going through the motions and kind of going through the pregame rituals and all of that. I wouldn't be surprised to see him, but I don't know. I don't know what Wolf's plan is or what anybody else's plan who's involved in that is so maybe we don't see him at all but i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised to see him dress for for the portland game and i guess the other part of that is it's not like there's a lot of other strikers sitting around that we would not dress if he's sitting on the bench right he's not taking anybody's spot off the bench like we have we have essentially empty roster spots that are not being taken so it doesn't it doesn't hurt anybody if he's there um, and speaking of so other forwards that we expected to see, what do we know about Mackenzie Gaines, if anything? So <laughs> we signed him. This is like the story of Austin so far this year, right? So we signed him, and then he hasn't been fit fit for uh, a match at all yet, right? With an adductor strain. Yeah, adductor strain. Like two days after he formally signed, he had been training with the team for weeks before then, and then as soon as he puts ink on the paper, he's injured. Which Austin's luck, isn't it? But um, I don't have they given any information about his timeline. I haven't seen. I don't. I, I honestly I haven't heard a question about it. Um, I imagine this I, week's press conference on Tuesday will will probably hear something about it. At least get the question asked. But uh, yeah, I don't. I haven't seen or heard a timeline about that. So who knows when he's going to be back? Yeah, it's just another. It's kind of the way things have have gone this year for us for sure. All right. Anything else before we wrap up, Jeremiah? No, I think it's time to wrap it up. All right. Before we finish, we'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend, tell your mom, tell whoever. Uh, My wife, Ashley, always carries around this little fanny pack thing when we're at games or like traveling, and she always has Moon Tower soccer stickers in it. And so I'm too shy to talk about our podcast is strangers, but she does it for me all the time. And so she's always handing out moon tower soccer stickers. If, if you'll do that, let me know. And we'll give you a stack of stickers too. So, <laughs> but yeah. Brandy, Brandy won't do that, but I, you know, I might, <laughs> I, I joke, but seriously, it, it really does help grow the show. Uh, just word of mouth is the best advertising we could ever hope for. So we'd really appreciate it. If you'd tell your soccer friends about the show. Hey, I want to add something to that too. So I've got a friend that works at CTRMA which is the toll authority. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he was just over here. We were hanging out and we were, you know, he's not a fan, but he knew I like soccer. And so it's like, Oh, it's like, you got a podcast yet. He's like, well, I'm going to like sign up for it. And then, um, so he subscribed and then like, he mentioned something to like his boss's boss. And apparently that guy is a huge fan and listens every week. So (laughs) CTRMA guy, if you're still listening to the show, thank you for your support. Uh, and we'll send you some stickers too if you'll like send us a note on Twitter. Can we stick put stickers on toll booths or something? That'd be great for us. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs>
All right. If you want to continue the conversation online, you can find me on Twitter at LVHero87, Jeremiah's at jbentley underscore ATX. Uh, and then we are on Instagram and Twitter at Moon Tower Soccer. Find us there as well. Also visit the Striker Texas website. Is there any uh, any articles you want to shout out this week, Jeremiah? Yeah, I'm going to have to link to this because it's sort of uh, buried because there's so many awesome articles. But Phil West wrote a really good article about the nine players most affected. I think it's from last week, but the nine players most affected by the addition of Sebastian Giussi, which I thought was a really good um, analysis of how we could expect the shape to change in the long term. You know, once he sort of gets in and gets settled and where everybody else will go and how that how they will play. All right. Yes, yeah, so y'all check that out. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in one week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer, where we will cover the latest in Austin FC news. We're also going to review those two matches we just previewed, and then we'll also preview the second FC Dallas match where they're going to visit us at Q2 Stadium. We're also going to have our good friend Phil West on to talk about the MLS All-Star game that following Wednesday. Till then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around. Hello, friends, and welcome to Moon Tower Soccer. Is that what I always say? Yes, it is. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds super weird for some reason. I've been away for a week, Jeremiah, and I forgot everything. <laughs>